and uh, in continuing on through the book of Deuteronomy, we are uh, coming to a close. Close. I mean, today is uh, chapter thirty-two or thirty-one, and then next week we're covering two chapters. Or actually, I'm sorry. Uh, Today we're covering um, chapter 32. And then 33 and 34, the last two chapters, we're doing together next week. And um, so, please turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 32. And uh, let's start out with a word of prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, as we worshiped you in song, Lord, I pray that we were genuine in our cry to you. And, and Lord... Um, even through those words that we sung, Father, there is an element of mercy and grace that is demonstrated throughout your word that we as your children are able to see in our own lives on a regular basis. And so, Father, we are truly thankful for that. Lord, as you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, and we look at this chapter, chapter 32 of Deuteronomy, we see how it is in even the song that um, you had Moses compose. Lord, these were your words. Lord, that they would serve as a witness against your children, Lord, that as they did go into a time of rebellion, that they would be reminded of your character, your goodness, your grace, your mercy, and how it is that you will truly never leave them or forsake them. And so that is true of us today. Lord, you are consistent, you are faithful, you are full of grace and mercy. And we thank you, Lord, that we can look to you and cling to you and know that we are more than victors in Christ, that we are more than conquerors. And Lord, we are, our strength comes not from the flesh, but from you. And so we are thankful, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would continue to give us understanding of your word. That, Lord, you would encourage us with this word this evening, Father. And that you would give us understanding. That you would help us to apply this to our lives to bring you blessing and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So um, just just to kind of set this right, um, in Deuteronomy chapter 31 is where um, God had told Moses um, to compose a song, to prepare it. And so, Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 19, says, Now therefore write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths, but this song, that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. For when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and grown fat, They will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. And when many evils and troubles have come upon them, the song shall confront them as a witness, for it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. For I know what they are inclined to do even today before I have brought them into the land that I swore to give. So Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the people of Israel. Verse 30 says, Then Moses spoke the words of this song until they were finished in the ears of all the assembly of Israel. And so here it is. Uh, Chapter 32 is the very song that Moses wrote and taught it to the Israelites, spoke it to them, and, and commanded them to teach it to their children. 
This was in obedience to what the Lord had commanded him to do, to teach it to the people of Israel, that they may have it um, in words that we would understand on the tip of their tongues, that they would be able to recall it at any, at any time. Hopefully, the Spirit would give them remembrance of these very words. They would be reminded of the very thing that Moses taught them and served a witness against them in order to convict them, to bring them back to the Lord. That's what it was designed to do. To remember God in a time of rebellion, a time of drawing back and turning away from. So it's with that that we go into this very song that we have before us that Moses composed. Verse 1 of chapter 32 says, Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew. Like gentle rain upon the tender grass, like showers upon the herb. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. So we have this introduction here in the first four verses of this chapter. And it's a remembrance of the character of God, who He is. We need to keep in mind when this was to serve as a witness against the Israelites. It was when they turned from the Lord. So this is a great reminder, and it would serve them well at that time. As Moses is calling on all creation, on all peoples of the earth, to consider the majesty, the power, the greatness of the rock, the Lord, the God of Israel. And what we have here is a description of these words are considered to be like raindrops and showers to that which needs it. As the Israelites will need it in that day, they will be a, a dry and parched land themselves. As far as their hearts are concerned, their very souls will be dry, dry and withered up. In the song, they will be reminded that God is truth and all His ways are just. He is righteous and upright. It's in those moments to where people have turned their backs on the Lord. And sometimes we think that what we go, are going through and experiencing is, is not justice. It's not what we deserve. And yet, we deserve so much less than what we have been given already. For anyone who's in a position of having turned away from the Lord, this would be a great reminder that God's Word is necessary for life to sustain and restore vitality and growth. Remember that God is great, that God is majestic, that God is immovable, perfect in all His ways. He is just and righteous. Consider this also, and I was thinking about this, how, how it's, it's important for us to consider this when we feel like we're perhaps drawing away from the Lord. Have you ever felt like that? At just moments, just a sometimes portion of days, sometimes a, a number of days to where we kind of feel like, it's just like the Lord is not like with us, and yet He's always with us, right? You ever feel like kind of you're, you have the blues, you know, you just, I don't know what it is. I just feel, I just feel blah. I just, I don't feel invigorated. I don't feel like I have this joy. And I've 
felt like that at times. In fact, um, there are times that uh, that, it, that overwhelms me. And I think, you know what, I need to get into God's word, God's word a little bit more. And I go through and I start reading and I'm reminded of who God is in my life, how faithful he is, he's trustworthy. He desires that we possess this joy that is something that can never be taken away from us. Reminding me of the hope that I have in Christ. Of what lies before me and ahead of me for all eternity is the glory of God. All of those things are great reminders. Whenever you feel like that, get into God's Word. You know, it's at those times sometimes that we feel like, I don't know, I, I, I don't want to get into God's Word. Well, you need to get into God's Word. I need to get into God's Word and read it and read it and read it and read it. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I just don't know. It's like maybe I'm reading the wrong section. Keep reading. Who says you need to read just one chapter a day? Right? Read two, three, whatever it takes. Spend time with the Lord. Do not deny yourself that time because it's a time well spent with the Lord. And He will bring you back to that place of being reminded of who the Lord is in your life. These words that we have before us is something that would serve as a witness. But this introduction is, first of all, to remind Israel of who God is. And these are very important words. Verse 5, as we continue, says, They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you and established you? What they were guilty of doing is they were guilty of them turning their backs on him. They were guilty of forsaking the Lord. Because immediately following the declaration of who God is, we have the accusation against Israel made in simple terms. Very simple terms. Two verses that we have before us here. They have perverted their ways and corrupted their relationship with the Lord because of their own sin. Because of this, they are blemished before God. Being a twisted people, evil intentions plague their hearts. And then, what should be the conviction of the rebellion comes through a rebuke and admonition. To repay the Lord who delivered them, fathered them, provided for them, protected them, led them. To repay Him in this manner, those words should serve as conviction to them. Number one, reminding them of who God is in their lives. And then secondly, this is how you repay the Lord, the one who delivered you, protected you, provided for you, led you, and did all of these things, blessed you with abundance. And His grace is absolutely amazing. It should be conviction. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The New King James Version says, reasonable service, which a more literal translation would be your rational service. All of that tells us this is exactly the way we ought to be responding by submitting ourselves to the Lord and allowing Him to use us as He will wills. Why? Because He saved us. He poured His grace out upon us. 
to do anything other than that? Well, we should hear these words then. Would we repay the Lord? The one who saved us, delivered us, gives us the hope of eternal life. Would we repay him by rebelling against him? And the answer should be absolutely not. But this is a song. This is the very thing that should be should come as a, a reminder to the Israelites when they do turn away from the Lord. But these, as we see here, are a people who at the moment that this song is being reminded or, or being put before them has, have turned from the Lord, and it is not the right way, of course, to respond to them. But we continue. Verse 7 says, Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you. Your elders and they will tell you. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. He found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him, he cared for him, he kept him as the apple of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions, the Lord alone guided him. No foreign god was with him. He made him ride on the high places of the land, and he ate the produce of the field, and he suckled him with honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock, curds from the herd and milk from the flock, with fat of lambs, rams of Bashan and goats, with the very finest of the wheat, and he drank foaming wine made from the blood of the grape. Hmm. Remember. Remember how good the Lord has been to you. These, these are beautiful words. I mean, these are words that just paint a perfect picture of exactly what it was that the Israelites were experiencing even at the moment that this song was written. Consider the words of those who are older, the elders, fathers, and know what the Lord has done in times past and even up to this point. He chose you as His special people and cared for you as the apple of His eye, providing, protecting, and blessing you with all the best of everything. at those moments to where we again are brought to this place and should be brought to this place of conviction as these words should be words of conviction for the Israelites themselves remember how good God is to you does this not bring about a conviction when you genuinely consider the goodness that someone you have rejected has demonstrated to and toward you I mean you're treating them so bad and yet He's been so good to you. You know, a friend of yours. You know, you start treating bad, and yet my friend has been so good to me. I don't know why I'm acting this way toward my friend. It should serve as conviction, right? That would be reasonable. Psalm seventy-seven, eleven says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. In Psalm 27, 13 says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the, of the living. Oh, David's heart, a, a man after God's own heart. 
It would do well for us to remember these words. Remember the goodness of the Lord in those times when perhaps we have stumbled, we have tripped up. Remember how good the Lord is and stand upright before Him. Repent and come back to Him. Verse 15, as we continue, says, But Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods, with abominations they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. Jeshurun is a reference to Israel, by the way, and it means the upright one, which at the time, of course, of what the Lord is reminding them of, they definitely aren't standing upright before the Lord. But that's what it means, and it's a reference to them. It's a reminder of, for us in Christ, we are standing upright in the eyes of the Lord. Why? Not because of our righteousness, but because of the righteousness that we have come to enjoy in Christ our Lord. Now what we see here is that Israel grew big and strong and then believed it didn't need God. Sounds like people, when they pray for God to help them, protect them, get them through difficult times, to get a better job, a better home, a better car, you know, etc. And then they forsake God who gave, and you fill in the blank. Unfortunately, there are people that come for a short period of time, and they do that very thing. I'm going through this incredible time in my life and so much difficulty. And as soon as God strengthens them and builds them up and helps them get through whatever situation they're in, they're gone. Okay, I'm good now. I can go in my own strength. Thanks for giving me a push. Like, no. God desires a relationship with you. In fact, what he did in your life should serve as an example of his blessings and how good he is and should drive you to worship him that much more, to give him all the praise. But even worse is when a person comes to salvation and forsakes the one that saved them, not by their doing have they been saved, right? But by what the Lord did and the God who gave. Not only is God forsaken, but they turn to other false gods, completely unmindful of God. And in their turning to other gods and living sacrificially toward other gods, they are in darkness, even considering their sacrifices, those being sacrifices toward demons that were, of course, no gods at all. With this thought, the question is, what are you sacrificing to? In other words, Are you willing to change plans for, give of yourself, even when you don't feel like it towards fill in the blank? Feel joy when you fill in the blank. If you fill in the blank to all of those and find satisfaction, contentment, and something else, which, by the way, is all empty, other than God, then what you're doing is sacrificing in your life towards something other than the Lord. And so it's worth worth noting. It's worth um, coming to the realization and then turning from that. 
And what we have here within these words is hopefully a revelation of the very things that really shouldn't be a part of the child of God. Idolatry. Because idolatry comes in all shapes and forms. Idolatry is being unmindful toward God and forsaking the one who saved you and instead giving the place in your life that belongs to God to something else or someone else instead of the Lord. That's idolatry. So again, just a reminder. That's why I I love as we go through God's Word and we study it, how it is that even, even here we see back then how it is that God is the same. And he's telling them, hey, listen, this is the very thing that I'm warning you of. Please note that when this happens, it's idolatry. It, it, it has nothing to do with me. In fact, it's an opposition to me. How we respond to this is really important. Verse 19, as we continue, the Lord saw it and spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faithfulness. They have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols, so I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. For a fire is kindled in my anger, and it burns to the depths of Sheol, devours the earth and its increase, and sets on fire the foundations of the mountains. And I will heap disasters upon them. I will spend my arrows on them. They shall be wasted with hunger and devoured by plague and poisonous pestilence. I will send the teeth of beasts against them with the venom of things that crawl in the dust. Outdoors a sword shall bereave and indoors terror for young man and woman alike, the nursing child with the man of gray hairs. I would have said, I will cut them to pieces. I will wipe them from human memory. Had I not feared provocation by the enemy, lest their adversaries should misunderstand, lest they should say, our hand is triumphant. It was not the Lord who did all this. By the way, the meaning of um, God hiding his face is a withdrawing of the intimacy that we enjoy with him. The joy of sound, a sound relationship. I thought it was interesting how someone had explained this turning away from the, of, of the Lord, from His people, was that at first it's a relief. You know, when you are in sin and you have strong conviction coming against you, it's heavy. And, and when you're fighting against it, oh man, is it a struggle? But the moment you're left alone, the moment that the Lord turns away and gives you over to a depraved mind, gives you over to your devices, go ahead, if you insist on doing that, go ahead, but you will deal with the consequences. At first, it's a relief. Why? Because, okay, now I I don't feel this conviction anymore. The reason why I can say that with certainty is because I remember years ago how it was that I turned from the Lord. And at first there was this conviction and, and, and there was strong opposition against me, which was heavenly. It was something that the Lord did in my own life. And yet because I insisted at some point, that compromise became easier. 
And that's a dangerous place to be. At first, it's a relief because the presence of conviction has been lifted. But at some point, the realization that they are left by their God and in a dark place that brings, this brings a feeling of desperation and a loss of hope outside of God. Did you know that discipline in the form of calamities and the consequences of forsaking God is actually to bring you to an awareness of God in your life? That's what it's supposed to do. That's what it's designed to do. It's sad when people turn their backs on God, experience times of discipline, and then harden their hearts even more toward Him instead of repenting and turning to Him. You know, the Bible tells us that we can actually have seared consciences. Um, What that means is that we can get to a point to where we've rejected God so much that there's absolutely no feeling of conviction at any time. It's like that, if you've ever gotten cut or you've gotten burned, how it is that that portion has this scar tissue and you have absolutely no feeling there. That's what a seared conscience is. You don't feel it anymore. God here also said that He would, in the midst of their disasters, would not allow them to be utterly cut off from the face of the earth. This is God's mercy, by the way. Because God will deny His enemies from ever thinking that they were powerful enough to wipe them off the face of the earth. It just it won't happen. Praise God for that, but it just will not happen. All the nations of the world can come against Israel, and they will not be completely wiped off the face of the earth. Please notice also back to verse 21. In verse 21... says, they have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols, so I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. Yes, overall, this is speaking of a withdrawal of God in His hand of discipline that's applied to them. But what we see here is a jealousy that the Israelites are provoked to by a people that enjoy a relationship with, with the Lord, that they should be enjoying, but are not at this point. Reminded me of Romans chapter 11, verses 11 and 12, which says, So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Another translation would be their full fullness to complete, a perfect bringing in. We are grafted as Gentiles. They are God's people. And for us as grafted people into a relationship with the Father through the Son... Um, the Jews who are Israelites and God's people look to us and they're provoked to jealousy, which is wonderful. 
which is wonderful. It, it, it's wonderful that, that that happens. Why? Because God has intended for it to happen in that way so that they would come to recognize as Jesus being the Messiah. So we have Messianic Jews, and those are ones that have responded to that provocation and have received Jesus Christ as Savior. But God's people will never cease to be God's people. But how great will it be when they turn back to their God and see Jesus for who He is, Messiah? It's good if a person who's walking with the Lord provoke a backslider to jealousy also. Jealousy of a relationship they once enjoyed. That'd be wonderful too. I was thinking about the Jews, but also, what about those who, who are in a place of being backslidden and they see that relationship that someone else is enjoying with the Lord that they once enjoyed? That'd be great to provoke them to a place of repentance. You know, wow, you know what? I remember that joy. I remember that hope. I remember that, that fellowship, that communion that I had with the Lord. To serve as a reminder of that is wonderful. But we continue. The song continues. Verse 28. For they are a nation void of counsel, and there is no understanding in them. If they are wise, they would understand this. They would discern their latter end. How could one have chased a thousand and two have put ten thousand to flight, unless their rock had sold them, and the Lord had given them up? For their rock is not as our rock, Our enemies are by themselves. For their vine comes from the vine of Sodom and from the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of poison. Their clusters are bitter. Their wine is the poison of serpents and the cruel venom of asps. Is not this laid up in store with with me, sealed up in my treasuries? Vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip. For the day of their calamity is at hand and their doom comes swiftly. For the Lord will vindicate His people and have compassion on His servants when He sees that their power is gone and there is none remaining, bond or free. Then He will say, Where are their gods, the rock in which they took refuge, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering? Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your protection. See now that I, even I, Am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive, I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and swear, as I live forever, if I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and will repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh. With the blood of the slain and the captives from the long-haired heads of the enemy. Rejoice with him, O heavens. Bow down to him, all gods. For he avenges the blood of his children and takes vengeance on his adversaries. He repays those who hate him and cleanses his people's land. We see how at the beginning of this portion, the Israelites demonstrate a lack of understanding, but we see God's faithfulness to His people also. But when they're in this place of rebellion, they lack understanding, they're in a state of rebellion, and they're acting as fools, without discernment. 
And yes, at this point, God is stating his case against Israel, but at the same time, never forsaking his people. We're reminded of his faithfulness toward his people. Turn with me, uh, put your finger there and make sure you hold your place there, but come with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. In verse 3. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. says this, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure God. Endure. God is, I'm sorry, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. And... If there is a person who is in this place of rebellion, of completely having forsaken the Lord, and is not dealing with any discipline whatsoever, then as we read there, then the question is, are you a child of God at all? Because he says, if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children. And not sons, and so that's that should be the question. You know, I'm I'm not getting disciplined. There are no consequences to this. And, and am I in am I in a place of waiting? Is there something else coming or nothing? Even that should draw us to the Lord. That should strike a fear in our hearts to where, you know, we're asking, you know, are we are, are we yours? Am I yours at all, Lord? To be disciplined is to be a child of God. To be chastised by Him is a love that is demonstrated by a father who desires to bring you back into that place of standing upright before Him, of having integrity, spiritual integrity, before the Lord. Remember this always and know the love that God has for you 
when you are in this place of rebellion. And this is what the Lord is telling. We can't forget this. This is what the Lord is telling the Israelites. Hey, listen, when you get into this place of rebellion, when you have forsaken me, when you have turned your back on me, remember these words. These are the very things, these are the very words that you need to be reminded of so that you will turn back to me. And you know that I've prepared you for this very time, this very moment. When they have reached bottom and there is no pit deeper that they can go into, God is asking, where are your gods? Those in whom you thought you knew refuge, let them rise up and help you at this time. They can't and they won't. Both Psalm 115 and 135 have the same words. It says, their idols are silver. Psalm 115, 4 through 8. says, their idols are silver and gold. They work um, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Pretty clear, no? When, you, when you're looking at uh, an idol and worshiping an idol, you know, it can't speak, it can't see, it can't hear, it can't smell. It can't do anything for you. And the one who trusts in that idol becomes like that idol, unable to really know what living is truly. For life comes through the Lord and no one else. One last thing to bring up. In verse 29, there's something I I think is important for us to note. In verse 29, it says, "If if they were wise, they would understand this. What is that? They would discern their latter end. This means that there's a consideration for the consequences, the outcome of their actions. Uh, that's, that's really discerning. That's wise for someone to do that. To kind of look at what's before you and consider, if I do that, if I don't do that, whatever it is, what is the outcome? That is good to consider. That, that is exercising discernment. It's wise. There, Having that consideration for the outcome of our actions is something that's important for us to do on a regular basis, daily basis. Uh, Certain situations that should drive us to that. There is a discernment, a realization of what the consequences will be if I do this, or sometimes if we don't do this. Don't do that. That is truly being discerning and being wise. And again, knowing God's word, that should serve us as wisdom as we apply it to our lives and the different situations that we are faced with. And then verse 44, as we continue, Moses came and recited all the words of the song in the hearing of the people, he and Joshua, the son of Nun. And when Moses had finished speaking all these words to all Israel, he said to them, take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. 
Moses was telling the Israelites to make sure they learned this and taught it to their children. It's not something to take lightly. He was telling them, by no means should you take this lightly. You need to teach it to your children. Do not take the law lightly. Do not take God's word lightly. It is not a game. It is not an empty thing to love the Lord and obey Him. It's not just something nice to do in your life so that you may live like, you know, a a, a good, clean life. No, no, no. It's far more than that. Far more. It is in your mindfulness of God's word and abiding in it that Moses was telling them that they would live long in the land and live abundant lives there in the land that they were going over the Jordan to possess. An abundant life. I told you that life is found in the Lord. Besides Him, we are mute, we are deaf, we are blind. We don't know what living truly is. I told you before, I thought I knew what living was before the Lord, but <laughs> I was still grasping. I was still trying to find you know, something better, something that would really fulfill me, bring me contentment. And, and it was always something else and always something else. And when I came to the Lord, I realized that it, th- this is living. This is understanding a, a hope that is always before me. I was reminded of John chapter 15 as I came through this portion. John 15, verse 7. The Lord Jesus was saying, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so... Have I loved you? Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus also said in John 10.10, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. It appears that abiding in Christ and obedience to His Word is to know a joy, a joy that fills us to overflowing. And that is what God desires for us as His people, to live a life of abundance. You know, it's something to be said, to know a life that is, that knows spiritual integrity. You know, that I I know that I'm, I'm not in any kind of, Habitual sin. Not that I'm not a sinner. <laughs> because no one is sinless, right? But to not be, I'm not in like this, this place to where I just insist on doing something and I know it's sin, but I do it anyway. That kind of a thing. And I do it over and over and over again. To have, to have spiritual integrity before the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? I still daily, trust me, I need to get on my knees just as you need to get on your knees and ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins, Right? But to know, you know what, I'm not, I'm not intending to do any of this in a state of rebellion. And you have this confidence in the Lord, and, and you know that you're in a right place before Him. You know you're abiding in Him. 
you desire to do that which pleases the Lord, you are surrendering to Him, being governed by Him, being led by Him, walking in the Spirit. And that's an abundant life. That's a life of joy. Not just the hope that lies before us, but also this joy today at this very moment. And then in the final portion, this is in closing. Verse 48 says, That very day the Lord spoke to Moses, Go up this mountain of the Abarim, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, opposite Jericho, and view the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel for a possession. And die on the mountain, which you go up, and be gathered to your people, as Aaron your brother died in Mount Or, and was gathered to his people. Because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel, at the waters of Meribah Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zin, and because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the, of the people of Israel. For you shall see the land before you, but you shall not go there, into the land that I am giving the people of Israel." It's Moses' time to die. The time has come on Mount Nebo and Moab, opposite Jericho, across the Jordan, where the Lord will bring him up and Moses will make this climb. From there, he will be able to see the promised land, the land of, Can- land of Canaan, but will not be able to enter it. But as the Lord is telling them, the Israelites will go into the promised land, but you will not. It was because Moses broke faith. Moses did not heed God's instructions as he gave these instructions to Moses to speak to the rock. You remember the the moment to where he he was commanded to speak to the rock and yet he struck it. He was so frustrated with the people. They're murmuring, they're complaining, they're, you know, all of that. He was just fed up with it and God told him, speak to the rock and out of the rock will come water. And yet what he did was he went and look what you have made me do, you know, and he strikes a rock. And it's for that reason that he misrepresented God before the people. And also we see the, the, the picture of Jesus only having to be struck once, the rock. And so with this, Moses was not able to go into the promised land. He was 120 years old, and this will be Moses' last climb to the top of a mountain. This time it will not be to receive the law or a word from God other than to be received into God's glory for all eternity. You think about it even even at that. He's not going into the promised land, but he's going home. It's time for Moses to go home. He's done. 120 years. He's coming home. In, verses, in chapters uh, 33 and 34, verses, in chapter 33, he'll bless the people and then climb the mountain in the following um, chapters. In chapter 34, we'll see how it is that he, he dies. And, and then we go into Joshua the week after that. After all of this, remember why it was that Moses was commanded by God to write this song. We can't lose sight of that. You know, we, we can break down the song as we did somewhat we didn't go into really great detail, but I think we have a good understanding of it. But remember why Moses was commanded by God to write it. Ultimately, to serve them in their time of rebellion, knowing the character of God and how He desires 
they not rebelled? Because remember, even if you're reminded of a portion of Scripture in the middle of your rebellion, it would be good maybe in the first four verses, right? To go, oh yeah, God, you are so good. You are majestic. You are powerful. You have been so good to me. I am so sorry. I repent of my sins and I turn back to you. You don't need to go through all of this. We don't need to. Even the, the Israelites, they, they didn't have to go through all of this. But as, as they continued on in their rebellion and in forsaking their God, this is exactly what they were supposed to be reminded of. But God desires that we not rebel, but remain standing before Him, obeying Him, abiding in His Word, and blessing Him. So I want to close with this, and that is reading the first four verses and being reminded of who the Lord is. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass, and like showers upon the herb. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Heavenly Father, we are truly thankful that we are reminded of your character, of who you are in our lives, who you are, period. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness for falling short. And we do ask that you would help us to walk uprightly before you, that we would enjoy an abundant life as we do so. If there is anything, Lord, that we are doing that is an offense to you, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see it for what it is and turn from it and bless you and glorify you. We know that you are faithful, you are trustworthy, Lord, but we want to be a people who are bringing you glory, reflecting your light to others, that they too may be provoked, Lord, if you will, to desire that which we have, and that is you. And so, Father, we commit ourselves into your hands once more. We ask your blessing and for you to fill us with your spirit to overflow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.